by Investing Caffeine, a podcast designed to wake up your investment brain. This is Wade Sloan, founder of Sodoxia Capital Management, author of How I Manage $20 Billion by Age 32, and lead editor of the Investing Caffeine blog. Uh, believe it or not, this is podcast number three. Um, you are witnessing me become a steely veteran podcaster right before your own ears. I don't think Joe Rogan or TED Talks have anything to worry about as far as uh, competition goes, but we're definitely um, cutting our teeth here. Uh, we love your feedback as always, so please give us your thoughts, the good, the bad, the ugly, on the Weekly Grind podcast by messaging us at info at sidoxia.com. That's S-I-D as in David, O-X-I-A. Um, or, of course, you can always give us a call at 949-258-4322. Okay, uh, we have another great agenda this week. Uh, we're going to start by reviewing the markets and the market-moving um, headlines, uh, move on to cover a few individual stocks, and then finish with my weekly rant on market predictions and forecasts. And uh, this is especially uh, relevant given the uh, Sunday 60 Minutes interview with Jerome Powell. Um, we'll kind of dive into that a little bit more um, when we get to that to that segment. But let's go ahead and do a weekly um, overview of the indexes and sector sectors. It was a bloody red week uh, across the board. Uh, the S and P 500 was down 60 points, or about 2.2 percent. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 576 points, also down about 2.2% for the week. And the tech-heavy NASDAQ took it hardest on the chin. Uh, It was down 2.5%, which, um, as you know from last week, uh, marks the end of its 2019 winning streak of nine consecutive weeks. But like we talked about last week, um, the the gains in 2019, especially in the technology-led NASDAQ, um, it's, it's just not sustainable. I mean, it, it took three months for it to have its first negative week, but um, shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, and even with the hit we took last week, the NASDAQ is still up double digits, 11.6%, and both uh, the Dow... And the S&P are up over 9%, very respectable numbers. Um, The other interesting um, milestone for this week is this is the anniversary, uh, the 10-year anniversary of the S&P 500 hitting its financial crisis bottom. Uh, You you may recall that uh, it's an easy bottom to remember because the S&P 500 bottomed out at 666, uh, the sign of the devil, um, it's more than quadrupled in value um, today, um, where you know we're at uh, what is it twenty over twenty seven hundred at this point. So uh, yeah, we'll 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 mark that and let's hope we don't have to um, revisit that anytime soon. Um, <clears throat> moving on to a few sectors, gold was up three percent. And uh, it bucked the trend um, in a de- as a defensive sector, and gold has underperformed um, the S and P 500 even with that move. Um, the other um, defensive area was the volatility index, which spiked up 18 percent to a level of 16, 
which is generally below its long-term average of about 20. On the downside, the BTK was down 5%, uh, more than reversing its large 4% gain last week, but the biotech sector is still up 15% for the year and is outperforming the broader indexes. Uh, small cap stocks were down more than 4%, double the S&P losses, but still outperformed, um, or still has been outperforming the broader index in uh, 2019. Um, this really shouldn't be a surprise. When you think about small cap stocks, they tend to be higher beta stocks, or in other words, that means they move up more than the market in up weeks and down more than the market in down weeks. Uh, so a lot of this market nervousness um, pushed uh, in the weak macro economic data, pushed investors into bonds. And we saw that with the 10-year treasury um, moving down 15 basis points in yield to 2.63%. Um, and, you know, as I made the case last week, we've really just been in a, in a trading range. Uh, so as the market got pummeled and people moved to safety and bonds, what were the traders talking about during this week? Well, there are three main things, and that was, uh, one, the anemic jobs report. Number two, the European Central Bank, or ECB's, return to stimulus and some you know, lousy China trade data. So let's unpack these items one at a time. Um, when we start with the jobs report, non-farm payrolls gained um, just 20,000 jobs in the month, well below the estimate of 180,000 jobs. And this was the biggest miss in more than 10 years. Um, it was no surprise that this triggered a slide in stocks, but the, the data is mixed. Um, so the um, unemployment rate actually went down to 3.8%. Um, and still lower than it was a year ago. And the 20,000 jobs in the government data conflicts with the ADP data. So you may be familiar with the ADP. That's, uh, for a lot of employers, that's the same company that issues checks. So they have a, a great insight into the employment, um, into the employment sector. Uh, according to their data, the number of jobs added in February was 183,000. Um, and the other conflicting or mixed news is that the January numbers for both the ADP and government were revised higher in January. And uh, with this, um, the number of unemployed um, moved to 6.3 million. Um, and this keeps uh, falling short of the number of job openings, which has stood at a record of 7.3 million. So there, there's still the, the job market, despite um, a weaker number is still very healthy by uh, many different um, objective factors. Um, number two, the ECB, um, as far as their stimulus goes, uh, President Mario Draghi or Mario Draghi announced three measures last Thursday uh, that could add modest economic stimulus. Um, first, uh, the uh, quote, uh, Mario Draghi said, uh, expect the key ECB interest rates to remain at their present levels at least through the end of 2019. Um, the other thing he said is that he 
committed to reinvesting all maturing bond principal payments in new debt for, quote, an extended period of time. And three, uh, the ECB announced a new batch of targeted long-term refinancing operations. So they've done this before uh, with mixed results. First time wasn't so great, but the second time they had uh, better uptake. So all these things kind of buoyed some of the confidence that um, hopefully the, the sluggishness in Europe will um, improve. So the, the last part I want to talk about was China. Um, more, more, more specifically, the U.S. trade gap in goods hit a record $891 billion in 2018 as uh, China bought um, or reduced its purchases of U.S. farm products while uh, us Americans continue to buy um, lots of the foreign goods. So that, that is what caused the record um, trade deficit. Uh, and some other headlines, um, there was a proposed tax on financial transactions of 0.1%. Uh, this was pushed by Democrat um, Representative uh, Peter DeFazio and supported by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. Um, the chances of this happening, um, I would say, are slim to none, slim to none in this Congress, um, but uh, we'll likely be fodder for the 2020 presidential elections. Uh, what th This particular bill um, would raise an estimated $777 billion over a decade. On the political front, there, was, there were the uh, denuclearization talks between U.S. and North Korea, which fizzled out. And adding insult to injury, uh, there were satellite images suggesting that North Korea has been rebuilding a missile testing facility um, you know, right after the, the talks ended. And uh, lastly, um, Paul Manafort, uh, the former Trump campaign chairman was sentenced to four years in prison um, below the sentencing guidelines on bank and tax fraud charges. Uh, but he still um, has another sentencing in Washington, D.C. this week. Um, <clears throat> so th those were some of the major headlines that were uh, the traders were focused on. Um, and, you know, as I like to remind people, um, these are all fun to watch and and follow, but um, you know, for the most part, uh, at Sedoxia Capital Management, we're we're not trading on this data, but plugging this into our the larger mosaic of of what we uh, look at for the backdrop of our individual stocks. Which brings us to um, a couple stocks and news this week. Um, Facebook uh, has been uh, rediscovering privacy. And their founder, Mark Zuckerberg, um, is trying to make uh, it apparent that he's caught new religion on privacy. And they made um, some announcements that they would uh, basically integrate their major communication applications across Instagram, WhatsApp, and Facebook Messenger so that they're interoperable. And this is especially shrewd for the company, given uh, some talks, some regulatory talks of potentially splitting up the company. So the more that they can integrate these applications across their 2.3 billion monthly active users, uh, it's just going to make it stickier 
uh, application for users. <clears throat> um, another area that was in the news, our company, or a group of companies, was Barrett Gold. Uh, was up 5% for the week. Uh, their ticker is GOLD. Uh, they put in a hostile takeover bid for Newmont Mining, ticker NEM, uh, which Newmont uh, turned down the bid. And part of their rationale for Newmont is that they're already in a bid with Canada's Gold Corp, um, ticker GG. And, you know, th this really isn't surprising given Gold's uh, struggle. Um, gold in general's price underperformance in recent years and when those types of trends happen in in the in various industry industries it's not uncommon to see consolidation and, and that's what we saw um, on the downside um, AOBC uh, American Outdoor Brands uh, maker of Smith & Wesson guns was down 23 percent they posted uh, for the week. Um, they posted disappointing results in Q4, and they weren't on weakness in 2019. Um, the the company management pointed to bargain hunting by consumers to lower margin products and elevated promotional activity. Uh, there was drops in in uh, gun um, registration activity, or so-called NICs, and there was also some restructuring that they did in their optics um, division and they had to recognize a large multi-million dollar charge. Uh, last stock I'll talk about is Kroger, ticker KR. Um, it was down 13% for the week on weaker Q4 revenues um, and earnings which uh, both fell short of estimates and they're not surprisingly seeing heightened pressure from Amazon and Walmart in the grocery sector and Kroger's having to make some you know very costly investments just like a lot of other retailers into their digital program and delivery programs um, and as we talked about last week um, Amazon announced their non whole food grocery store rollout uh, which added additional pressure to um, Kroger's share price. All right, uh, so this brings uh, us to the weekly rant segment. Um, and today I want to talk about um, predictions and forecasts. Uh, I actually tackled this subject a few years ago. Um, if you want to go to my blog, investingcaffeine.com, um, you can just type in um, predictions of fool's errand and you know I think that Yogi Berra um, summed it up best when he spoke about the challenges of making predictions when he said quote it's tough it's tough to make predictions especially about the future and the, the point is is that nobody consistently uh, predict the future um, there's plenty of people that make tons of uh, crazy predictions and you know, eventually, some of these come true. Uh, but again, there's not really any skill or consistency that can be uh, provided to making predictions. And as I had alluded to at the front end of our podcast, uh, this is 
especially relevant when you see interviews like last night on 60 Minutes with Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jerome Powell. And, you know, he was asked specifically, you know, are we about to go in um, to recession? You know, although he provided an answer, the, the short answer is he, he has no clue. And even if he were lucky and were to, to uh, guess right, um, you know, he's, he's not going to be able to do it consistently. So what, one of the things I love to kind of point out is, you know, Alan Greenspan, the former uh, Federal Reserve chairman, um, couldn't be uh, more erroneous in his famous or infamous a rational exuberance speech he gave in 1996. This was during the technology bubble, and he warned that um, we were in a period of irrational exuberance. Um, and at the time, um, the NASDAQ was at roughly 1,300. Uh, well, it went on to subsequently go to over 5,000 over the next three years. And today, the NASDAQ is over 7,500. So uh, it just goes to show you that even the smartest people in the country and the globe when it comes to finances have no idea. Uh, you know, f- flash forward to uh, Ben Bernanke, uh, the subsequent Federal Reserve chairman, and he completely missed the boat on the, the housing crisis. He continually um, diminished the impact of subprime and uh, the, the banking loans and is just another example of um, you know the, the so-called uh, pundits getting it wrong. And so today everyone's focused on when's the next recession coming um, and you know the, the saying that rings true is that bull markets or business cycles don't die of old age. It's usually, some exogenous shock that nobody sees coming is, is what causes it. And I'm not saying that we can't have a recession in the next six months or 12 months, um, but it's also possible that we may not have um, another recession in the next six or 12 years. Uh, we just recently tweeted, uh, you know, at Wade Sloan, uh, Australia hasn't had a recession in 27 years. Um, that's very unlikely um, as far as the U.S. goes, but... Um, Nevertheless, there is precedence for these extended business cycles. Um, Another great example of the experts getting it wrong are Robert Merton and Myron Scholes. These are Nobel Prize winners um, from the University of Chicago. Um, I wrote an article about this, um, When Genius Failed, and this was a a doozy of a story about the, uh, I guess, uh, rising the rise and fall of long-term capital management hedge fund, um, which started as a $1.3 billion fund in early 1994, and then it peaked at $140 billion before it eventually crumbled to a capital level of less than $1 billion. So uh, in, an amazing um, 360 collapse. Um, and so, it, you know, the, the lesson learned is that um, just because you became a Nobel Prize winner doesn't mean that you, a uh, winner, that you become a great uh, predictor and forecaster. Um, another example, uh, Billy Bean. If you remember the great book uh, Moneyball by Michael Lewis, 
Um, he's got a great quote um, that really uh, sums up um, the, uh, the, the difficulty in making predictions. And so Billy Bean says, quote, the crime is not being unable to predict something. The crime is thinking that you are able to predict something. And it just goes to show that the stock market and financial markets in general have a way of humbling you. And if you listen to some of the, the greatest investors, they typically are more humble and understand um, the shortcomings of, of making uh, predictions. So as I indicated before, you know, there, there's a lot of people that make crazy predictions. And I've written on Investing Caffeine quite a bit about the perma bearers. And, uh, you know, some, some of the articles that come to mind, um, uh, um, Peter Schiff is, is one where I wrote an article called The Emperor Schiff Has No Clothes. In 2002, he called um, for the NASDAQ to fall to 500 and the Dow Jones to reach 2,000. Um, obviously, way off base. Um, there's other... Uh, high-profile forecasters and strategists like John Malden. Um, I wrote an article on Investing Caffeine called uh, The Man Who Cried Bear, um, and he continually was kind of a perma-bear and, and missed the boat. And uh, Nouriel Rabini, also the so-called Dr. Doom. So inevitably, when the uh, stock market goes down and we hit another recession, a lot of these perma-bears will come out of the woodwork and claim victory on predictions that they've been making for the last, you know, 10 or more years. All right. Um, I just want to give a few more <laughs> quotes um, just to highlight um, how I think it's best to structure your, your view um, when it comes to making predictions and forecasts. And no better person than uh, Warren Buffett, the top investor of all time. Um, and what he says is, quote, stop trying to predict the direction of the stock market, the economy, or the elections. Um, and then he goes on to say, in the business world, the rearview mirror is always clearer than the windshield, which again just shows the difficulty in, in, in doing what, um, what few people are able to successfully do on a consistent basis. Um, Peter Lynch, one of my favorite investors of all time. Um, if you're not familiar with Peter Lynch, he's the legendary fund manager at Fidelity Investments, where he managed their flagship Magellan Fund in, from 1977 to 1990, where he earned a 29% annual return. Uh, that was more than double the S&P, and he outperformed more than 99.5% of all other funds. Um, over that period, uh, the fund went from 20 million with an N, M as in Mary, to 14 billion with a B, so over you know, 700 times larger than when he restarted. So it was a pretty good track record. And what Peter says is, quote, I can't recall ever once having seen the name of a market timer on Forbes' annual list of the richest people in the world. If it were truly possible to predict corrections, you'd think somebody would have made billions by doing it. Uh, he goes on to say, I've always said if you spend 13 minutes a year on economics, you've wasted 10 minutes. 
and um, John Templeton, another famous um, long-term investor, says, no matter how much research you do, you can neither predict nor control the future. Um, and so the, these are some of the greater long-term investors, but even uh, you know other examples of, I guess, other people making predictions. Um, uh, we've had Howard Marks in 2017 um, say, you know, that the market was overpriced. It went on to go up 20%. Or um, uh, there's Ryan Tepper, who um, he's 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 made a lot of um, false predictions or predictions that didn't turn out to be correct. Um, the point of all this is that there are many, many, many examples of people that get it wrong. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'll finish up with um, a quote from Mark Twain, um, who ca captured the essence of uh, speculation and um, predictions when he said, quote, there are two times in a man's life when he should not speculate, when he can't afford it and when he can. So basically saying there is no good time to make predictions. Instead of attempting to predict the future, what we do and what we advise investors to do is focus on finding investment opportunities uh, without trying to predict the future. Uh, basically find good investments at good prices um, given the available um, opportunity set. So at Sadoxia, we try to objectively um, look at all the data, invest where we find, uh, we, where we can get the biggest bang for our buck. Um, we go where, um, in what we would say financial nerdy terms are, we're looking to get the best uh, risk-adjusted return. So with that, uh, this concludes another edition of the Weekly Grind podcast by Investing Caffeine. Thank you again for listening. And before I sign up for the week, I want to give a special thanks to Kevin Weaver uh, for providing the expertise um, behind uh, the weekly podcast. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. So shoot us a message at info at or give us a call at 949-258-4322. Enjoy your weekly grind and see you again next week.